this morning for our sermon as we continue to work our way through the parables of Jesus. I invite you to turn in God's holy word to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. This morning we will be looking at verses 5 through 8. The 11th chapter according to Luke. You may be familiar with this passage. You may have heard it preached or taught in the past. And you, if you have, you most likely have heard that it is about persisting in prayer. Well, I'm going to challenge that this morning. I want to challenge you that this is really about boldness in prayer. Boldness in prayer. So if you came expecting persistence... What you're going to get this morning is boldness, okay? Boldness in prayer. Let us read together from God's holy word. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that as this text has been set apart for the proclamation of your word, that you would open our eyes to receive it with joy and with gladness and with thanksgiving in the heart. And Lord, that you would continue to teach us as Christians journeying how to pray and how to come before you in prayer. Oh Lord, increase our prayers. Through Christ's name, amen. Joel Beakey says that our biggest problem in prayer is not unanswered prayer. Rather, our biggest problem in prayer is unoffered prayer. Unoffered prayer. He's not saying, he's saying our, our, our problem, we tend to think of our problems in prayer is that God doesn't hear our prayers and answer them the way that we want him to. Beaky says, no, the, the biggest problem is that we don't pray. Unoffered prayer. And if we are honest with ourselves, we will readily admit that we do not pray as we ought to pray. And we can offer a variety of reasons for that. I'm too timid to pray. I'm too tired to pray. I'm too busy to pray. Well... I don't really know if God will hear or answer my prayers. Or perhaps our priorities are misaligned. The list can go on and on. All of the excuses, all of the justifications for why we do not pray. And Richard Pratt captures this struggle quite well when he says this, quote, Prayer is one of our greatest blessings and one of our biggest struggles. We know instinctively that prayer is essential to the Christian life, and we search for help in this area. But we constantly face the inadequacies 
of our prayer lives. End quote. So as we come to God's word this morning, Jesus offers you and me help and encouragement in prayer by teaching us what our attitude in prayer should be through this parable. And our first point from verses 5 through 7 is that God invites us to be bold in our prayers. God invites us to be bold in our prayers. So just to set the context of this passage, since we're jumping into the the middle of a chapter, immediately above our section under consideration this morning is Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus has taught his disciples as to the content of prayer. What things should we be praying for in our prayers? Well, Jesus gives us that in the Lord's Prayer. But now Jesus moves to this parable. He's not going to teach us the what of prayer. He's going to teach us the how. The how of prayer. So a friend goes next door at midnight and is in need of bread because a long-distance guest has come to his house and he has nothing to offer him. Several cultural factors are at play here. First, there were no all-night convenience stores back in this day. Food was not as readily available back then as it is now. He couldn't just walk to the corner market and pick up a loaf of bread or a dozen eggs or or some milk. In this day, you made what you needed for that day, and that was it. And baking was often done in an oven in a courtyard. So, So as it was a communal event... A person might be aware of somebody who had recently baked bread and perhaps would have a little bit left over. A second cultural factor at play is there are not inns on every street corner like today. This visitor can't just stop at the nearby Hilton or Marriott or Best Western. He has to stay with somebody that he knows during his journey. And finally, a third cultural factor is the responsibility of hospitality that was expected in this day and age. You were expected to be a good host, especially when you are having a visitor. And part of being a good host is being able to, to offer refreshments to the traveler, right? Some bread, some wine, uh, perhaps an olive oil bath. You were to be a good host. You were to show hospitality. So this man in this parable is in a conundrum. He can either be bold and bother a neighbor at midnight, or he cannot be bold and be a poor host. That's the problem of this parable. Do I go and bother somebody at an inconvenient time, or do I bring shame upon myself by being a poor host and not showing gracious hospitality. This is the problem. So this man decides to go and disturb the next door neighbor at midnight asking for a loan. Look at verse 5. Friend, lend me three loaves. The word used in verse 5 indicates he's not asking for a handout. He's, he's saying, let me borrow some bread and I will pay you back. It's like going to a neighbor and asking to borrow a cup of sugar or a cup of flour. We've all done that, right? We've gone next door and asked somebody if we can 
borrow a cup of sugar or a cup of flour, right? We're baking something. We haven't planned well or slipped our mind to go to the grocery store. We've, we're in the middle of the recipe, and we find that we don't have what we need. So we go and ask somebody if they will provide us what we need. How many of you have done that at midnight? What would you do and how would you feel if somebody rung your doorbell or knocked frantically on your door at midnight and asked you for a cup of flour or a cup of sugar or a stick of butter? Go away! It's midnight. Are you crazy? What are you thinking? You would be annoyed. You would be upset. You would be angry. Somebody has disturbed your sleep. And I don't know about you, but sleep is very precious to me because I struggle with it. And I would be a little put off. How dare you disturb my sleep for some butter? It's midnight. Don't you have anything else better to do? What are you doing baking at midnight? And if you have a young child or an infant in the house, oh, that, that increases it exponentially, does it not? Especially for the mother. You woke my sleeping child for flour? It's going to take me three hours to get the child back to sleep. Come on. Back then, in ancient houses were basically one-room buildings. So waking the master of the house meant that you wake the entire household up. There is nobody who will sleep through this knock in this family. Look at the friend's response in verse 7. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. That's a natural human response to the situation. It's not that he can't lend the three loaves of bread. He has them. His answer is one of unwillingness, not inability. He's unwilling to lend the bread because it's midnight and he and his family are asleep. And yet, verses 5 through 7 is one long, awkwardly worded question. This is really interesting and really weird at the same time. Jesus is... Jesus asks a question, and the question turns into a parable in the middle of the question. He begins the question in verse 5, Which of you, who among you, and if you use the ESV Bible, you finally see the question mark at the end of verse 7. The question turns into a story, it turns into a parable, and we tend to lose sight of the fact that Jesus is asking his disciples, and us by extension, a question. Now, there are different ways in the Greek language of this time to ask questions, and based on how the question is structured, uh, we'll determine what kind of answer is expected. Every time this type of question is asked in the Gospels, the expected answer is no one or nobody. In other words, Jesus is saying by his rhetorical question, which is also a parable, that none of us are so bold or courageous enough as to go bother another person at midnight for a daily need. In this case, bread. Even if that person is a close friend. None of us are so bold or courageous enough as to go bother another person at midnight for a simple daily need, even of a close friend. 
Jesus is saying in the context of prayer that we lack boldness in our prayers, and this is not a good thing. The implication is that Jesus is inviting us to be bold in our prayers. We should and we can ask God even for the small things in life, the basic necessities of life. And when we ask, we can ask without any shame, without any anxiety, and without any timidity or shyness. The parable uses bread as the focal point of the asking. And up in the Lord's Prayer, he teaches us, Give us each day our daily what? Bread. We are taught to pray for our daily bread, which also has spiritual implications, but it does include our physical daily needs, the basic necessities of life. In the very next section, verses 9 through 13, Jesus compares prayer to asking a father for a fish or for an egg. God invites us to be bold in our prayers for our daily needs. God invites us to be like the petitioner who has no shame in breaking a conventional and unwritten rule of society that you don't go bothering people at midnight for a stick of butter or a cup of sugar. Right? It's, there's no law that says you don't do that, but it's, it's just understood, right? It's, it's a... Basic courtesy. You let people sleep. But this guy has no shame in breaking this conventional and unwritten rule of society. And so God is inviting us to come to him like this petitioner. This is the attitude, the how of prayer that God wants us to use in approaching him. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly. To the throne of grace. Not double-minded, not full of doubt, not full of fear. Boldly to the throne of grace with confidence. And we have several examples of bold prayers in Scripture. Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis 32. And Jacob said that he would not let go of God until the Lord blessed him. Moses asked the Lord in Exodus 33 for God to show him his glory. David, in his penitential prayer of Psalm 51, prays, Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20 confesses in his prayer that he prays when he's surrounded by enemies. He says, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do. Have you ever prayed that in a prayer? I don't know what to do, Lord. The father of the demon-possessed boy in Mark 9 prayed to Jesus. He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And in the Lord's prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray for God's will to be done, for God's provision to be upon us, for God's forgiveness of our sins as we forgive others, and for God's protection. And the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 22 prays, Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. All of these prayers in one way or another are bold. Some are even audacious requests of God. Show me your glory. 
That is quite audacious. Some are bold in what they admit to God in prayer. Admit it. We're, we're kind of too proud to admit that we don't know what to do sometimes, aren't we? And so we, we approach prayer with that same attitude. I don't know what to do, but I'm not going to tell God that. In this passage and from these examples, God teaches us in his word to not shy away from praying and to don't be shy in how you pray. Come pray with boldness. He invites us to be bold in our prayers. Finally, in verse 8, we see God is more generous than the best of friends. God is more generous than the best of friends. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is friend, he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Jesus answers the question, the rhetorical question from verses 5 through 7 in verse 8. Though this petitioner is a friend, that's not why the neighbor relents and gives him what he needs. It's because of his impudence. Now that's a more archaic word, but it means shamelessness or boldness. Now some translations translate this word persistence. It's the only time this word appears in the New Testament. And so in order to get an understanding for what it means, you have to go outside the world of the Bible and into the Greek culture. And every time this word is found in, in writings of the same time period in, in Greek literature, it's a negative word. It's a negative word. It's actually an assumption to, to make this a positive thing by translating it persistence. The NIV actually gets quite close to it when it says in its translation, because of your shameless audacity, your shameless audacity, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. The early church tried to understand this, this word that only occurs once in all of the New Testament in a positive sense of persistence. And that understanding has persisted, pun intended, throughout church history. But this is a negative word that has to do with shame. This man is being rude and insensitive by asking for bread at midnight, yet he gets what he needs. How amazing is that? He gets what he needs, though he is rude and shameless and insensitive. And if the shameless petitioner gets what he needs in spite of his rudeness, how much more will the gracious God give to us? How much more will the gracious God give to us? This is the argument and point of the parable. God is more generous than the best of friends to those who approach him with boldness. This is in line with what Jesus says down in verse 13. He makes this same type of argument. Look at verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is a, a typical way of, of arguing in Jewish culture. You, you argue from the lesser to the greater. And that is what Jesus is doing in this parable. He's arguing from the lesser, an annoying, rude, shameless 
disturber of sleep at midnight, the lesser, to God who neither slumbers nor sleeps, who is never put off when his people approach him in prayer with boldness. One parable scholar puts it this way, quote, If a human will obviously get up in the middle of the night to grant the request of a rude friend, will not God much more answer your requests? Charles Simeon, a 19th century pastor, puts it this way, quote, If there be anything good which man will do, we may be perfectly assured not only that God will do the same, but that he will infinitely exceed it. Not only will he do the same, he will infinitely exceed it. God is more generous than the generous of human beings. God is more certain to hear our prayers than the best listener on this earth. Jesus is teaching us that we need to have the conviction, based upon Scripture, that God is a God who eagerly hears the prayers of his people and can be trusted to respond. God is interested for us to bring our needs before him in prayer with confidence that he will hear our prayers. With confidence that he will answer our prayers according to his perfect wisdom, his perfect goodness, and his perfect timing. The Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechism both begin the answer to the question, what is prayer? They answer it this way at the beginning. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God. Our desires, we can make our desires known to God. It's not sinful for someone to ask God to grant them a spouse. It's not sinful for someone to ask God to bless them. This parable that teaches us we can come to God with an attitude of chutzpah, moxie, nerve. You ever heard somebody ask a question and they think, the nerve of that person, the gall of that person, how dare they ask? God is not like that. He wants us to ask him like that. The imprecatory Psalms pray for God to destroy our enemies using very graphic and harsh language. So graphic that it makes modern people uncomfortable and they don't know what to do with the imprecatory Psalms. And so they either ignore them or they say that that's not really for Christians to pray. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. We can be bold in praying for God to destroy our enemies. And that's what we pray for when we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's what we pray for when we say, thy kingdom come. We can pray prayers of lament. We can pray prayers of imprecation. We can pray prayers like Job or Moses or Solomon. You and I have access to God through Jesus Christ, his son, And we can and are supposed to make use of that access. If Joel Beakey is right that our biggest problem is unoffered prayer, then that means we need to start offering prayer. 
You cannot ask bold prayers of God if you're not praying at all. (laughs) So where do we begin? Where do we begin? We begin by developing the habit of prayer. Developing the habit of prayer. Richard Pratt says this, quote, Good communication with God is not something developed simply by reading. You can read a thousand books on prayer without improving your prayers in the least. Prayer is like learning to play football or the piano. It takes practice. Our prayer lives will develop only as we take time to put our good intentions into action. End quote. So if your prayer life is non-existent, let me suggest that you begin small. Set aside two or three minutes a day. We easily spend more time doom-scrolling through Facebook and Twitter, right? So it should not be that big of a deal to take two or three minutes in the day to pray. But start off small. You don't jump into to weightlifting and immediately bench press 300 pounds. You don't immediately jump into prayer and pray Psalm 119 that has 176 verses. It's more like Psalm 117, which has two verses. Start small to begin the routine and to begin the habit of prayer. Well, I don't know what to pray. One way would be to take whatever your scripture reading is for that day and turn it into your prayer. Whatever the scripture reading is, whether it's from the Daily Bread or whether it's from the ARP Quarterly or whether you're following some other Bible reading plan, turn whatever your reading is for that day into your prayer. Because it either is going to teach you about some sin you need forgiving or some way that you can grow in the grace of God or it's going to give you something about the character and nature of God for which you can offer thanks to him. But what if I'm reading the genealogies of Chronicles? How do I turn that into a prayer? You thank God for the history of his covenant faithfulness to his covenant people. You ask God to use you like these ordinary people whose stories we do not know for the most part, but whose names are recorded in God's word, just like your name and my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And then after you have a few weeks under your belt or a month under your belt of two to three minutes in prayer a day, slowly increase it. Maybe increase it to five minutes a day. And then maybe increase it after a while to ten minutes a day. And continue that until you reach whatever goal you have determined and purposed in your heart. I'm not going to prescribe you a set length in time because Scripture doesn't. But our hearts should simply want to be in communication with our Father in heaven. And once you have the habit developed and going, that would be number one. Two, avail yourselves of studies of prayer. Study the prayers that are found in the Bible. Every single psalm is a prayer. There's the Lord's Prayer. There's prayers that are written in other parts of the Old Testament. There's Solomon's Prayer. There's Hannah's Prayer in 1 Samuel and so forth and so on. Richard Pratt's Pray With Your Eyes Open. I think we have a few copies out there in the, in the book area. It's an excellent book on prayer. The Reformers and Puritans had plenty to say about prayer. John Calvin and John Bunyan both wrote pamphlets on prayer, and you can find those free online. The Westminster Larger Catechism 
exposits the Lord's Prayer. What are we praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer? Take time, spend time looking at the larger catechism and help it inform you about the Lord's Prayer. The Valley of Visions, a collection of Puritan prayers. You can not only pray those prayers for yourself, but they will help you develop your prayers as far as the content of your prayers go. Matthew Henry has an excellent book on prayer called A Method for Prayer. All of these resources can help you better form the words and the contents of your prayers, but only after the habit has been developed, only after the practice is going and you've got the momentum. Another help and resource to use, the midweek prayer meeting. Not only have I used that time to teach on prayer in the past, but it's a time of regular prayer, regularly scheduled in the week. You could come tonight at 5 p.m. as we spend time in prayer before Sunday evening, as we spend time in prayer on the Sunday before the session meets. So develop the habit by starting small and slowly increasing how much time you spend in prayer until you reach your set goal. Once the habit is developed, study God's word and use those helps from church history to help you flesh out and better expand your prayers. How in the world am I going to get my prayers up to 20 minutes or to 30 minutes or however long you've purposed? These resources from church history will help you. The third thing that I haven't mentioned is to to pray regularly and, and, and having a fixed time for that will help. Fix a time. The Jews had set times for prayer. Block a time out in your schedule. It can be whenever you determine a purpose. I'm not going to tell you when you should pray. But set that part of setting that habit and developing that habit will be doing it consistently at the same time. Come to midweek prayer meeting, which in addition to having that regularly scheduled time, also provides accountability to others to help you pray. And then finally, write your prayers down. Let me encourage you to write your prayers down. That has been the practice of the church up until modern times. And you can go back and check months later or years later and read from your own pen, your own hand, how God has answered your prayers. See, even when we do offer prayers up to God, we forget what we've prayed for. And when we forget what we've prayed for, how in the world are we going to recognize when God answered the prayer? So write them down so that you may give thanks to God and remember when he has heard your prayers and how he has answered your prayers. And so, my friends, be bold in prayer. Be bold. Amen and amen. Let us pray.